welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. Thank you so much, Simon. It's fantastic to be home. If you haven't got a clue who I am, as Simon said, I'm uh, a son of the house. So if you're at the Bible study with Vic Nichols, he's my granddad. Uh, Paul and Sue, mum and dad. Uh, I think I'm the best child, firstborn, as Simon said, so holy anointed to God. Uh, but it's fantastic to be back. Why don't you just have a little stretch after worship? Turn to your neighbour, give them a handshake and say it's good to be in the house. Now turn to your second choice neighbour and say I I saved the best until last. Give them a quick fist bump. And just two things to say uh, before we dive into the word together. Simon, obviously a very humble man, your pastor, you know him as your local church pastor. But Simon is a father in our movement of Elim. 600 churches and many pastors are pastored by Simon. And it's often the case that when you've got something, you don't realise how good it is until it's gone. So I think it'd be really good to just honour both Simon and Jane for taking up just the headship of this house and really propelling it into what's next here at CRC. Then stand up, look at that, come on. That's fantastic. And secondly, it's great to see Nick Kamathi. If you didn't know, Nick was in my youth group for six years in Northampton. Uh, obviously he's very holy, I did a good job there, so hopefully uh, we can get some in this morning as well. But as we begin, can we just pray, and I, I know we've been up and down, but I think it's always good to stand before Jesus, and we're just going to commit this service to Jesus, so if you're willing and able, let's stand. Lord Jesus, we just pray for our next hour and a half together as we dig into your word, as we minister, Lord, from uh, a place of humanity really, but we know that the word is alive and it is active. We pray that the accounts we dig into your words as we impart it, Father, from this platform in worship and in preaching, Father, that you just really find good soil. We pray that if this is a word for anyone in particular, you give them the courage and audacity to grab it with two hands and really take it into their everyday. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. Please do be seated. So we're going to be going to Luke today, Luke chapter 7, if you are holy and you brought a Bible with you, you can get that out now, I'm going to flip over to Luke 7. If you haven't, if you just hold your mobile phone up, nobody will know, so you can do that and look like you're holy as well. But I will also have it on the screen here, Luke chapter 7, verse is, I think we're going to start in verse 22, have we got it on the screen guys? Fantastic. So I'm going to read, sorry, verse 36, let me begin by reading here. Then one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She bought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. And when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, He said to himself in his own mind, this man, if he were a prophet, talking about Jesus, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. Pay attention to this. She is a sinner. Some translations say she is an immoral woman. And Jesus replied to Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. Now, let's very early on make the distinction. We're not talking about your pastor Simon here. This is a very different Simon. He's still a pastor 2,000 years ago. A Pharisee was a pastor of the time. And and really when we talk about Pharisees, it's usually in a negative context, but they were good men. They taught the word, they lived by the word, but often we find in scripture again and again, they just get it wrong. And this is what we see with Simon here. 
So we're going to click pause on that account there. We're not going to read any more of it. Uh, just like a favourite TV series on Netflix or Prime, you can go home and finish this story in your own time, which would be good to do. But before we dive into what I believe God is communicating to us this morning in this text, I want to bring you right to 2023 to Luton. It's a scary place to be, I know, but just hold your breath. And specifically, I want to take you to my local Asda, which looks like this. This is the Wigmore Asda in Luton. Now, Luton is very different to Birmingham. We don't have a lot going on. There's no Cabriol, there's no Ballroom, there's no Grand Central. So Wigmore Asda is like one of the seven wonders of the world in Luton, because everybody knows where it is. And I just so happen to live right behind it, and also my gym is next door. And I've got three kids, Judah, Asa and Ida Grace, who are eight, seven and three. I think I got that correct. And they're going through, each of them at the moment, a time in their life where they just will only eat one certain thing. And that happens to be pasta and bacon. Pasta and bacon for breakfast, pasta and bacon for lunch, pasta and bacon for dinner, pasta and bacon for a snack, pasta and bacon with a cup of tea and a biscuit. It's just pasta and bacon. So needless to say, we get through about 20 kilograms of pasta a week because they're gannets and they just eat everything. And on my way home uh, from the gym, I got in the gym, as you can probably not tell, I do go to the gym, I jumped out of the gym and ran into Asda. And I'm one of those shoppers who doesn't like to mill around. And Becky, whenever she goes into Asda, you think there'd been some sort of divine intervention in the night where they put new aisles in and all new things are there. It's all the same stuff, but she goes and takes her time on every aisle. I'm a sort of aim, hit it and run out obviously paying first. So I grab my pasta, I grab my bacon, and I go to the self-checkout. Because what you may not know about me, although I find it fairly easy now, after 10 years of practice of speaking on a microphone, I'm a massive introvert. So if I know you, I'm fine. But after the service, I'm, if I'm really awkward and you speak to me, it's not personal. I'm just a bit shy and a bit of a weirdo, in fact. Very, very introverted. So when I'm in a shop, I sort of put my hoodie up. And remember, I'm in my gym outfit, my trackies, got my hoodie up. And I go to the self-checkout. I try and avoid as many people as possible, particularly some of the awkward people in my church who shop in Asda. So I'm at the tills, I'm doing the BPDP thing, I put it through the scanner, contactless pay, and I begin to walk out. But then, tragedy strikes, especially if you're an introvert. Now, you extroverts, if you like, Simon, this doesn't phase you. But this has been a defining moment in my life that is going to traumatise me, I think, to the day of my death. Because as I began to walk out, I got to this point... And some of you might know what I'm going to say because you have had this same horrifying experience. There's a security booth and there's these theft detection scanners. I didn't even know what they were called until two weeks ago. But as I walked, Reverend Michael Nichols, ordained to the Elim Pentecostal Church, through these scanners, they started to go off. And of course, when this happens, everybody in the shop stops and looks at you. And remember, I'm in my gym gear. I haven't got like a dog collar on or a shirt. I've got my hood pulled up. My trackies tucked into my socks. My trainers on. And I just go cold all over. And instantly, I just get frozen. I don't really know what to do. And this voice kicks up in my mind. And it begins with just one word. And it's this. Run. And I think, do I just run? Because the security people have clocked me. And it only takes them about four seconds to come over to me. All they have to do is walk from this little booth here through the doors and I'm there, stuck in a frozen trance, sweating, heart beating, panicking, thinking I'm going to have a panic attack. And my mind is racing. And this is what my mind's saying. It's not just saying run, it's saying they've finally caught you. You've had a good run, but the game is up. And I begin to convince myself that I'm some sort of career criminal. I forget I'm a minister and a pastor. 
And I start having these horrifying images. I see my face on Facebook under Luton News saying, Pasta, Pinchies, Pasta. <laughs> and I'm horrified. And all at once I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to jail. While also thinking, that's a really good headline. But I'm horrified. And the, the guys are coming and, and they're walking up to me. And they stop me and they say, sir, can I see your receipt? And shake and I bring out my, seat, my receipt. And they say, don't worry about it. It sometimes happens. And you know, the relief that flooded over me in that moment, greater than my wedding day, better than when my children was born, I felt free again. Minutes ago, I was trying to think what I was going to say to Becky with my one phone call from the police station. And it sounds absolutely hilarious talking back, but I want to tell you it was a very real fear. I was petrified. Has that ever happened to anybody here? Everyone's looking at you. I'm making sure there's no one in my church who's going to see me get thrown to the floor. But before we go back to Simon's house and we see this immoral woman, I want to talk to you about that voice in my head. You see, when we talk about voices in our head, we usually instantly revert to that being a clinical diagnosis that needs some help. But actually, we all have that voice in our head. We all have that thinking voice. And that voice might sound like you with your accent and your timbre and your tone. It might sound like Pastor Simon. Or if you're really in trouble, it might sound like Jane. Or it might sound like Morgan Freeman, but we all have that thinking voice. And scientists say it's called self-talk. And if you're worrying that you're going to be clinically diagnosed with anything this morning, it is completely normal, and we all have it. Now, self-talk is fascinating for a few reasons. But firstly, it speaks to us at quite a rapid rate. If we're having a conversation after the service today, we speak between about 145 and 160 words per minute. That's normal uh, conversation. When we're presenting or preaching like what I'm doing now, we speed that up to around double, about 300 words a minute. And we do that naturally to try and keep you alert and hopefully, but we'll see as we go on, awake. We want you to stay engaged, but our self-talk speaks at 1,200 approximate words per minute. That's eight times quicker than what we speak in conversation. So that's really, really, really fast. And we go really fast and we hear it, we understand it, we listen to it. And what's amazing is we do this almost unconsciously. Sometimes we tap into it consciously, but it's happening all the time. And what's scary about that, we don't just hear it, we listen to it, we understand it. And the scariest bit is we believe it. We believe everything it's saying. Even now as I'm preaching, you've got this commentary going on in your head. It's a bit like watching a Wimbledon match where there's a commentator telling you what's happening on the ground. And you're looking at me and you're thinking whether you like my voice, whether you like what I'm wearing, while simultaneously listening and processing everything I'm saying. And Sunday afternoon, we go home from church, don't we? And oftentimes, we haven't done anything, but we're exhausted. We have the famous Sunday afternoon nap. Because you're doing a lot of work while you're here, there's so much going on in your mind again and again and again and over and over at a rapid rate. And of course, scientists have done much study on this, particularly in the past 10 years. And they've proven that self-talk is important to us. It can be our best friend or our deadliest foe. For example, if we are positive in how we talk, it's been proven to increase your lifespan just by how you talk to yourself. It can dramatically improve your self-esteem. It can lower rates of depression and anxiety. It gives you greater resistance to the common cold. You might have a flu jab booked in. Just speak better to yourself in your mind. It reduces the risk of death from cardiovascular and heart disease. It gives you better coping skills during hardships and times of stress, which is phenomenal. 
But the dangerous thing is it also has the exact opposite effect when we speak negatively to ourselves. So it can reduce your life. It can make you more prone to the common cold and cardiovascular disease. It can give you a greater risk of getting beat up in times of hardships and times of stress. So what this tells us, in my mind, is our subconscious is very powerful. As I said, our subconscious doesn't just hear, it listens to everything we say and accepts our self-talk as truth. Scary bit, even if it is not. Accept everything you say instantly, subconsciously, as truth, even if it's not. And when it's not, it creates the circumstances and situations around you to make you believe it's true. And this is evidence when you go to a party. I said in the first service, we, we go to our gossip parties, which are commonly called prayer groups in CLC and churches, where we have an instance happen and we know that it's going to be on the prayer list next morning at Costa as we gather to talk about what happened at the party. And it's really interesting because as you go around that table, in a situation I'm sure you have done, everybody's account is slightly different. And some are dramatically different. Why? Because we assess it not from what actually happened, but from the place of our self-talk. Even now, if you talk about the service after the service, your perception will be slightly different from those next to you or behind you. It listens to it and then makes it true. And what you're doing now, you're tapping into your own self-talk. And it's a little bit like when people talk about breathing. Like, we all know how to breathe. It's the one thing we can do when we're born. We get the slap and we begin to breathe. But when someone talks about breathing, we forget to breathe. And we automatically go into manually breathing and we do the same with our self-talk. So why on earth the science lesson? Of course, the university's down the road. We're in church. We should be talking about Jesus and the Holy Spirit, which, yes, we're going to do. But I believe science and faith aren't far apart. There are so many instances where they cross. And we can learn so much from science coupling it to our faith in Jesus. So we're going to hop back in our theological DeLorean, our time machine, and go and gate crash this party where we see this woman gate crashing the party at Simon's house. What does this have to do with a dinner party that happened 2,000 years ago? This sinful, immoral woman. Now, on your first reading, if you're unfamiliar with the culture of the time, you will think this is a strange story. And to be fair, even for Luton and Birmingham, this is a slightly odd story. But you may read it as Jesus and Simon having a conversation and this woman barging in the house and gate crashing. Well, it wasn't like that. You see, at the time, there was no Netflix, there was no Sky TV, there was no cinema, no IMAX, there was no entertainment complexes, no bowling, not much really of anything to do. This would have been the highlight of the town with Jesus coming to the town and having a conversation with the Pharisee, Simon. It sounds a bit boring, doesn't it? But Simon's house would have been built in the middle of a courtyard. And when Simon had distinguished guests, they wouldn't go in a back room. They'd sit in the courtyard and they'd invite the town to come and listen in. If you were dating at the time, this would be the hot date. If you were going to propose, this would be the place to do it because everyone's there. So it's not just the woman, Simon and Jesus. There's probably 150, 200 people. And what I want to do for the rest of our time today is not so much look at the text, but look beneath the text and do what I call taking preacher's liberty. You see, with the Bible and these accounts, we only get really the bare bones of what's going on. And, and oftentimes in my devotional times, how I best study and connect with God is through the Word. I like to sit in the Word and dig a little bit deeper, look at the culture, look at the context. 
And sometimes God will just drop a vision or, or a word or something in my mind that helps me concentrate and go a little bit deeper. So if you will allow me, I'm going to take preacher's liberty. And if you won't, I've got the microphone, so I'm going to do it anyway, okay? But I want you to come back with me 2,000 years and imagine this woman. This woman we know straight away is a sinful woman. This wasn't a private thing. Everybody in the town would have known this is a sinful woman. Scholars tell us to use the word sinful or immoral in some translations means she was a prostitute. So she wasn't like hiding this. It would have been very evident she wasn't a good person. And I imagine that this is the sequel of something. You see, you don't just hear Jesus is coming to town, this wandering preacher, and instantly go like to a hundred and do what she did. I believe there was somewhere, something, an instance where Jesus had met with this woman. Or indeed she had heard him preach and something had just touched her. This was the sequel. There was something within this woman. When she heard that Jesus was coming to her town, there was a compulsion within her that had to see her get to the feet of Jesus. I imagine her getting butterflies when she heard this name. This preacher she had either seen or listened to before was going to come to her village. I imagine her being excited as she rushes out of the door. And let's say the dinner party is at half twelve. I imagine she would have left at 12.45. She didn't want to see anyone or bump into anyone. And in fact, as I read it and I imagine it, I don't believe this woman went with the intention of doing what she did. You see, the alabaster jar of oil was very common at the time. They used to wear it, women, around their neck on a little necklace just to keep them smelling nice in a very hot Middle East. But she went... And she scurried and she got to the back of the crowd. I imagine her hoodies pulled up. She is keeping low profile. But then when she sees Jesus again, something compelled her to get to his feet. And that's not a difficult thing to sell in this room because you, many of you, have had that same thing. You come to a meeting unaware, a prayer meeting, a worship meeting, just a normal Sunday meeting, and something has touched you in that moment where you just had to get to the feet of Jesus. And I imagine this woman getting that compulsion on the edge of the crowd and a little bit like me and Asda feeling that tingling in the end of her fingers and feeling the sweat coming on her forehead as she knows the only thing that she has to do is get to his feet and the person who is ashamed and pushed aside and talked down to will find peace. And so we find her in verse 37 at the end of the crowd and I believe she begins to use her elbows to push through and she goes to the third row and then the second and then the first. And I believe just as she's about to step out and get to Jesus, and we're told from the text she approaches from behind, I see in my mind that she locks eyes with Simon the Pharisee. Now, these two weren't trained strangers. We know from verse 39, Simon knows exactly who she is. Simon would have passed this woman in the street, and he's the type of man, a holy man, who would have crossed the street. He would have looked at her with disgust and, and shame, and he would have looked at her with embarrassment, And any time this woman would have passed Simon in the market square, she would have put her eyes down and shuffled along. And I imagine her horror just about, as she's about to step out to see Jesus, she sees Simon and realises with sudden dread that this is his house. He's sitting in the host chair, he's sitting directly opposite Jesus. And I can imagine Simon speaking and faltering, and the crowd realising what's happening as Simon and this woman lock eyes. It was silent, you could hear a pin drop. He looks at her and he begins to think. He begins to think. And we get to verse 37. 
And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house and she bought her alabaster jar of perfume. And I imagine as she's on the threshold of the crowd, which is represented by this platform, she feels her self-talk begin to ramp up in her mind. Her eyes are locked with Simon and she hears this voice in her head, just like me, in Asda. Run. Run away. And it ramps up, it starts making the most of those 1,200 words a minute, saying things like, who on earth do you think you are? You're not good enough to be here. You don't belong here, you're a dirty sinner. Why do you think that he, Jesus, would want you here? This is a terrible idea. They're so much better than you. You'll look ridiculous. You should have stayed at home. Nothing, nothing will ever change. And I can imagine a frozen, and we don't know because the text doesn't tell us if this was two seconds or ten minutes or half an hour as she stood right at the edge of the crowd, willing herself to get to the feet of Jesus. But these words start coming and washing over her and start changing how she's feeling and start suppressing this calling and compulsion she has in the pit of her stomach. But more than that, as I was sitting in this text, I began to think that maybe this woman wasn't hearing this voice in her voice, but instead she was hearing it in Simon's voice. Again, clarification, not your pastor Simon. Let's help make that distinction, you see, because as I began to think about this, I gave Simon a face. We've got a voice, we see that in verse 39. The voice I gave Simon was this one, the face. Simon Cowell. And actually has his face washed through my mind as I'm reading this. There's a lot of similarities there. If you don't know who Simon Cowell is, he's like this talent judge on X Factor and Britain's Got Talent. And he is famous for being brutally honest and sometimes just brutal. You have these young men and women coming, shaking and shivering with a dream and a calling and a compulsion to do something and Simon cuts them down. Let me help you by listening to what Simon says. Here's some quotes, if I can find them in my Bible. I might have lost them, actually. Are they down there? Okay, let me try and remember. Simon says things like, you think you're going to be a singer. You are never, ever going to be a singer. You think you have a dream to do this. You will never, ever realise this dream. One of the things that was said is you're a wedding singer. How many of those weddings ended in divorce? He said things like, when I think of my worst nightmare in the future, I'm going to think of your face. And he said, if I remember rightly, the only redeeming thing about this performance was that I stopped it early. Simon is hilarious when you're watching him from a distance, but if you have a dream and a calling and a compulsion, he's not a good person to be stood in front of. And let's translate this to faith. As we are stood there before the feet of Jesus, self-talk Simon begins to ramp up in her mind. You're not good enough. The dream you have is not going to happen. When I think of my worst nightmare and Jesus looks out, he sees you. You think you can do this, but you know what? It's rubbish. Self-talk Simon speaks loud and fast, but oftentimes he's completely wrong. The difficulty is when we look at our self-talk, I talked about the power of positive self-talk, but naturally we have a negative bias in our self-talk. We have a negative slant. And if you even listen to your own self-talk, you'll see this. If you go out to a work function or a do, 
and 20 people tell you you look amazing and you're there, you know, glamming yourself. So, oh, thank you, thank you very much. But one person says something that could even be slightly hinted at being negative. What do you go home and think about? It's not the 20 good things. It's the negative things. One study showed that our self-talk has a bias of 14 to 1. That means for every one good thing you say, 14 negative things attack it. And that's normal. Isn't that frightening? When you couple that with the fact that we believe ourselves to it, we listen to it, and we create the circumstances to make that a reality in our own life. This is why playing Simon Says is a very, very difficult game. And the difficult matter of the fact is we do. Every day we play self-talk, Simon says. We have opportunity. We have times we can get in the presence of God. We have calling. We have compulsion, just like this woman, to do something. And then instantly we get cut off at the feet because self-talk, Simon, begins with his negative visions, his negative speech, his negative pictures in our own mind. And we don't have a lot in common I would imagine with this woman, this unnamed woman, we don't even know her name from 2,000 years ago. But all of us have been in that place between verse 37 and 38. And indeed, we may be there even right now. And we can be there for 10 seconds or 10 minutes. But you know, we can also be there for 10, 20, 30 years. We don't know how long I said this gap is, but lots of us live in this space. And the problem with living in this space is it's very small and in fact becomes a prison. And we get accusation of after accusation after accusation of why we can't move forward in what we're called to do. Why we can't move forward from what the prophet said or, or what Jesus has spoken over us. We can't move forward into all he has promised in our life because self-talk Simon is running the narrative. And what I found living the Jesus way, which I've properly been doing now for probably 13 or 14 years, even though growing up in the house, in the church, I left for a few years. I've found that whenever we endeavour to live the Jesus way, self-talk Simon is never far away. Never ever. Self-talk Simon is never far away. When you're on the cusp of a new season, self-talk Simon will be right there ramping up. And we have a choice in that moment to listen to Simon, you can listen to Pastor Simon, self-talk Simon, or Jesus. And we condemn ourselves with our own thoughts. And of course here in the West we are a logical people, we're an advanced people, we look at the science and we learn about this negative self-talk. But we're also a people of faith and a people of spirit. And we have an enemy that is very real and very present. And the enemy isn't all-powerful, all-knowing, all-seeing like God. There's only one main enemy. And let me just say this nicely, you're probably not important enough for him to deal with you. However, he does have a lot of minions. Simon said... John 10.10, 10, the enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. That's not just one person, that's all of his forces. But Jesus comes to bring life and life in all its abundance. And when we begin to hear these negative self-talk in our life, it can be us and we are prone to the negative, but it can also be the enemy. Peter puts it like this. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for somebody to devour and when I went to my mum's house yesterday, my mum's got two dogs and about five million cats. She's like a weird old cat lady now, in the mid-50s. But she's got two dogs, and there's this little dog that's, um, how old's Matilda? Four months, six months? Four months. And she's tiny, but she bounds at you. I sat on the sofa, and she jumped in my face. 
and goodness me, she made her presence known. She tried to put her tongue in my mouth, which I only let my wife do, but we'll leave that for another time. She's bouncing all over my head, and Mabel's jumping up on me, and these dogs are just bounding around as soon as you walk through the door. And do you know what? The enemy doesn't work like that. He's far more subtle and far more intelligent. I love the imagery Peter gives. He's like a lion. See, lions stalk. They don't come bounding in like a puppy. They're clever. They hide. And when they're ready to pounce, they pounce to have the maximum effect. You see, the enemy won't come bounding. We say, don't come this way because God's going to bless you. Don't come this way because your calling is here. The enemy is far more intelligent than that. He's like he is in the Garden of Eden with Eve. He whispers in your ear. Did God really say that? Are you sure that that's what you heard? Oh, I think there was a mispronunciation there. He didn't say go this way. He said go that way. And we need to wake up to the fact, particularly in the West, that we have an enemy and we need to be on our guard. We need to have the breastplate of righteousness, the sword of the Spirit, to defend against his attacks. And I promise you, we will never be able to stop hearing the enemy. And we will never be able to stop hearing our own self-talk and our own negative thoughts about ourselves. The difference is, is we need to be intentional about what we listen to. And we so often use those words synonymously, hearing and listening, but they're very, very different. We can't stop hearing self-talk, either from us or from the enemy, but we can choose what we listen to. I'll put it like this, back in my church in Luton, <coughs> and it's happening right now, about 20 to, to 1. After the service, we all go next door into our cafe, which is about half the size of this room. And there's a couple of hundred people crammed into this room, and it's like chaos. There's kids running around, there's coffee throwing everywhere. It's just mental. It's very loud, it's very excitable, as we catch up with our friends who we haven't seen from last Sunday. And I, as I said, I've got three kids, Judah, who's eight, Asa, who's seven, and Ida, who's three. And Ida's just actually been diagnosed with autism and ADHD, which is a very fun mix in a very busy place because she's just like a bouncy ball everywhere. Have to keep tabs on her. Becky and I have to divvy up. Right, you go over there, you go over there. The difficulty is, is we want to talk to people and we want to interact. So we, we try and counteract this the best we can. But oftentimes we lose one of them. We're not too worried because we lock the door. We lose one of them somewhere. But it's fascinating because I can be over one side of the room having a deep conversation with someone. But as soon as Judah, Asa or Ida say, Dad, not even at a shouty level from the other side of the room, I can hear it. Above all the noise, above all the clatter, they'll say, Dad, and instantly I'm alerted. Because my mind and indeed my heart are attuned to the timbre, the tone and the sound of their voice. I know what they sound like. And there's loads of other kids shouting, Dad and Mom. And I've filtered them out, but I know the sound of my kid's voice. They could say it even at a low level and I would probably pick it up. My question to you is, do you know God's voice in your life? And I said the, the enemy prowls around and the whispers in our ear, but you know God whispers too? told in 1 Kings, I think it's 19 verse 12, that God speaks in a whisper. Do you know why he speaks in a whisper? It's because he's close. And in the noise of life every day at work and stress and kids and all the things that we have going on, it's very, very difficult to hear the whisper unless you know you're listening for it. If you ever go on a day trip to London and go to St Paul's Cathedral, there's this beautiful dome and it's called the Whispering Gallery because you can stand at one end of the dome and have someone else at the other. And if you stand in the correct posture and position, you can hear the whisper right across the dome. You need to know where to stand. And it's the same in our spiritual life. Are we standing in a place where we're poised and positioned to hear the whisper of God? 
Because South Talk will be there, no doubt about it. The enemy will be there, no doubt about it. Do you know the sound of his voice? And we're very blessed over here in Britain. We can have the word of God. The sad thing is, is often the word of God sits on our phone in the app bin and our Bible sit on the shelf completely untouched and unopened. We sometimes bring it on a Sunday, but we don't access the word of God. You see, in the word of God, we learn about Christ's character. We learn the timbre and the tone and the sound of his voice. David says of God that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's directional. Shows you which way to go. And oftentimes the enemy and self-talk is waving a lamp in a completely different direction. And because it's noisy and because it's bright, we pay attention and we miss where God is leading us. And I, I wasn't planning to say it in the first service, but when Becky and I were dating, I used to be on staff here at CLC about 11 years ago. And Every week I'd go to Northampton on a Wednesday, I'd work Sunday to Wednesday here, and then jump on a train and go and see uh, Becky in Northampton to plan our wedding. And one Wednesday we had some sort of meeting, I think it was to plan our food or something with the caterers who'd come down from Bradford to come and meet us in Northampton to plan our wedding. But I was working for Stuart Blau at the time, and Stuart is a taskmaster. He's a godly man, but we just have to get things done, and I love that and I thrive on that. And at the time, I was like chief executive of the newsletter. So I was designing the newsletter and running it off and the printer was messing up. And, and it just so happens that I, I was running late and um, Becky's a very strong woman. She's not shy. So I'm getting bombarded on text by Becky and the steward's going, come on, we need to get this done. So I'm flying out of Frederick Road offices, running down to Oak train station, get my headphones in, jump on the train. And it was about this time that New Street station was being transformed from New Street to Grand Central. Do you remember that? And it was really weird because from one week into the next, from the Sunday into the Wednesday, everything had changed in New Street. There were these big white boards up. But I knew that every week I'd go to platform 4A and get on the London Midland train to London, Houston. But of course I was running late. I like to double check things, but I didn't have time. And I got to the escalator and people started running. And again, there's nothing that promotes a panic attack, an anxiety attack, like people running down an escalator at a train station because it means your train is at the platform and it's going to leave. So I started to fight the people in front of me, who I think were an elderly couple. I kicked them out of the way and I, ran, I didn't. Pushed them aside, I ran down the escalator, I got onto platform 4A, the train doors were opening and it was doing that beepy thing where they're going to close, beep, 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 run on the train, get in, find a seat, sit down and breathe. I'm sweating, my heart's going text Becky, all is okay, I'm going to be on time. And I take my headphones out, open my eyes, and I realise the train looks a little bit different. It doesn't look like a London Midland train, it looks like a Virgin train. And we know this because Virgins are post trains and London Midlands weren't post trains. I think, oh goodness me, they've changed the train for the journey, and then the train begins to pull out. And I asked the woman, this is a train to London Euston, isn't it? She went, no love, this is a train to Manchester. <laughs> Oh my God, I think I got off somewhere at Stafford. Needless to say, I was in trouble and late. The point of telling you that story is we're very quick to jump on a train of thought. Very, very quick to jump on a train of thought without checking whether it's truth. And we're running north on this train going four miles per hour, not realising that the conductor is self-taught Simon and not Jesus. We're running, 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 going in the wrong direction and before we know it, we're in Manchester instead of Northampton completely befuddled, don't know what we're doing, sweating out of breath and wrong. And, and let's look at some of the things that Simon says to us as we, we face our calling and our purposes, all of which we have in this room. Simon says things like this, I don't know where to go, but his word says, I will direct your steps. Simon says, I can't forgive myself. 
Jesus says, I've already forgiven you. Simon says, I'm not smart enough. I will give you wisdom, God says. I am not able, Simon says. I am able, Jesus said. I'm scared. I haven't given you a spirit of fear, God says. But I'm alone. I will never leave you, God says. But I'm an accident. Well, Jesus says, you're a masterpiece. I can't manage, but I will supply all your needs, God says. I'm unlovable. I love you, God says. Who are you listening to? You'll heal all of it. Every angle of the spectrum, you'll hear. But who on earth are you listening to? Just one more story. I didn't tell this in the first service. And, and some of you will know this story because coming back to CLC, it was a big part of it. I went to Bible college at 21, recently getting resaved, and probably went to Bible college too quickly. Um, long story short, after one year, I ended up getting kicked out. Kicked out of Bible college. I had to sit in the principal's office and he had to tell me to leave. And of course, this church had sent me, they'd blessed me, they had me on the stage, give me a Bible and prayed for me. Simon was saying, you shouldn't be here as I'm sat in facing my Bible college principal. This was the wrong move. You didn't hear me, Simon says. That wasn't God. It was a mess. It was a fake. You've stuffed it up. Your calling's gone. Your dream's gone. The thing you thought was correct was wrong. And you know, I ended up coming back here and thank goodness for godly pastors who get around you because we had a pastor here at that time and you have one now who will get around you and do that. Some of you heard that story. You haven't heard the second part. Three years ago, three and a half years ago, we were asked to go and lead our first church. I was in Northampton at the time with Nick and Becky on staff there. Um, recently being ordained, I got the call from our regional leader, a guy called Dave Campbell, said, it's this church called Luton Christian Fellowship. I'd love you to to come and take on this church. And this is a good church. I mean, it's not like me, Becky, and the kids, and that's the congregation. This is a good church. It's got money in the bank. It's got no debt on the building. I thought, goodness me, instantly Simon says, you're not good enough for this. Stay in Northampton. Stay in Northampton. You see, Northampton was very comfortable. The senior pastor was my father-in-law, so I got away with a lot. Could make my mistakes. It was a safe place. Stay in Northampton. You see, we've been talking about self-talk being an accusation. Sometimes Simon sounds very soothing. He doesn't always shout and accuse. Sometimes he sings lullabies. He wants to send you to sleep and keep you safe in a comfort zone. But you know, comfort zones don't keep you safe. They keep you small. You don't need to do that. You, fight, you go to church every week. You go to life group. Goodness me, you even go to the prayer meeting. You don't need to do that. You don't need to step out. You don't need to follow what Jesus is saying. You can just stay right there. I'll say it like this. Just because it's padded doesn't mean it's not a cell. Just because there's padding on the wall, it's not a cell. If you're in the cell and there's padding on the wall, there's probably a lot more going on there than just one wrong misdeed. It keeps you safe. It doesn't. It keeps you small. And the inclination that time is, you know, I've stuffed it up at Bible college, got a, a second chance. It wasn't God's provision. It was just a chance that my father-in-law invited me to come and be on his team where I could learn to be a minister. And I could sit here for years and decades and the church is healthy, the church is growing. The youth group I was in was growing. Why would I want to go to Luton? Just the week before, we'd watched a program called 24 Hours in Police Custody. And uh, it's set in Luton. It was a Sunday afternoon and there were three teenage boys at 3 p.m. in the mall fighting each other with machetes. Words that came out of Becky's mouth. Oh, I would never go to Luton. What happens? One week after, will you come to Luton? And, you know, we went through the interview process and we just really felt like God 
was calling us. And we started to filter out. And I know this was the same for Becky. We started to filter out the things we're hearing. You're not good enough. You're not equipped for this. Former pastor there was retiring. I was 30. And I found out later, we had five interviews. That's how unsure they were about us. They wrote us off at the first interview. You were too young. You're not experienced enough. But God spoke to our eldership. I've got a couple of GCSEs, got kicked out of Bible college. My eldership is the vice president of Nissan for Europe and Russia, PhD scientist in China, Oxford PhD family lawyer, and uh, veterinary surgeon and lecturer at London College, PhD. And they want me to come and lead the team. But the story doesn't end there. We get to Luton and we've got an assistant pastor who's contracted for the year. And Becky and I pull up on our first day and we get to the door and the assistant pastor opens the door with our keys says, welcome, Pastor Becky, Pastor Mike, welcome to your church. You know who that assistant pastor was? It was the principal of the Bible college who kicked me out. <laughs> Goodness me. And, you know, it was absolutely the right thing that we got kicked out of Bible college. It was so, you know, there were so many circumstances that just went wrong there. But this, all getting emotional. This principal, he stood at the door and he welcomed us with open arms. He said, God brings good things to those who follow him. God brings good things those who follow him. So, a couple of GS, GCSEs and getting to this church, and our church, obviously I'm biased, but our church is thriving. The people are amazing. God is blessing Luton with all its machetes and gangs and drugs. God is moving there, and we're so blessed. And I don't say that to make myself look good or Becky look good. I'm saying that to you. Do you think you're foolish? Do you think you're unwise? Do you think I've only got a couple of qualifications and... God can't use me. Absolutely, God can. Stop listening to self-talk, Simon, and listen to what Jesus says. Last thing, I'm running a little bit out of time. So one thing I just noticed in this account, as I was finishing up my devotional time and having all these things just go through my head about self-talk, Simon, this woman, I just pictured this, this instance of this woman breaking away from the crowd, deciding she's not going to listen to what Simon says or anyone else she's not going to play that game anymore she's got this compulsion she has eyes only for Jesus and she gets to his feet and she begins to shed her tears bitterness and unforgiveness and I'm sure rage and hurt and all these things just pouring out on Jesus' feet and then she broke open the alabaster jar and she poured it and it released this incense this beautiful aroma as she anointed Jesus and I want to ask you this morning as you look at your life with all the good things and all the bad things, the things you've been through, the hardships, whether you're in a cell of self-talk that is accusing you, or maybe you're just so comfortable sitting in the same seat you've sat in since the church opened in the year 2000 here on South Road. Let's get to the feet of Jesus. And I want you to ask at the feet of Jesus, what do I need to shed? Why is it I need to shed? And when we shed it, it will allow us to break something. What needs shedding in our lives? What do we need to lay down? What do we need to cry out? Is it bitterness? Is it hurt? Is it unforgiveness? Is it disloyalty? Is it feeling that God has given up on you? What do you need to shed? But when you can shed something, you break something. And what comes out of that brokenness is beautiful. It raises like incense and Jesus has a smile on his face. And I wonder if we could all stand last thing I want to say to you is this a little tack on on the end but a little phrase I had in, had in my mind and, and my spirit just as I was writing this message is don't let self-talk be the limiting potential the limiting factor of God's potential in your life 
And this is nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with you if you think you're good, if you don't think you're good. We're told in Ephesians 1 that God gives us every spiritual blessing. Every spiritual blessing. All of the heavenlies are open to children of God. You don't have to be good. You don't have to be good looking. You don't have to be well dressed. You don't have to have a theological degree, which I don't. You don't have to have anything at all. All you need to have is a humble heart that says, I'm going to shed something and break something can allow you, God, to be the unlimited potential in my life. I'm going to hand over the meeting to Pastor Simon and, and maybe we just have a little bit of time where we can, we can lay this before Jesus' feet. Thank you, Michael. I think we've all got our stories where the voice in our head tells us one narrative and, and then somehow God breaks through and says something so often vastly different. The thing about God's voice is this, the Bible says of his word, it will never return to him void, but will accomplish what he has set it out to do. How many of you have noticed that when Simon says something, it doesn't always come to pass? Have you noticed that? You've got that voice in your head that says, don't do this, you can't do that, you shouldn't say that. I mean, to be honest with you, to be fair and honest with you, I don't have a voice. I've got a flipping committee in my head. I've got so many things that are fighting for attention, that want me to do this, 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 and this, you know. And some of that comes out of my own brokenness. Some of it comes out of my life experience. Some of it is the voice of my father who disapproved of just about every part of who I am. And those voices, they are all subordinate because they can never take you to life. They will never lead you to fullness. They're stealing, they're robbing, they're convincing you of something that just is not true whatsoever. That's why the Bible says, whose report will you believe? We've got to make up our minds about Jesus. And I think we're making them up all the time as we go through life. Does he know the answer to my problem? Absolutely. Does he know I can do more than I can see right now? Absolutely. Does he know whether this person is the right person for me to marry or not? I know you don't want to hear this, but absolutely. You know, we've left you to your own devices and look at the mess you made of that. I think you should listen to what God has to say to you. God always knows best. He's the brightest person in that conversation. In fact, he's the brightest person in every conversation because he knows everything about everything and he knows everything about everyone. So, you're standing at a moment here and if we go back on that slide, Michael, those two things for me, they just... In fact, I might come down and get prayer myself. They said that the lady, she shed something. I don't know what you want to leave behind on the floor here today. We promise we'll mop it up, okay? But some things need to be left here on the floor. You don't have to carry them anymore. You don't have to take them home with you. You don't have to carry on fighting them. Leave them here. Jesus will take care of them, okay? If that's you and you need to shed something, just come out to the front here for me, please. We're going to ask some people to come and minister to you. When I say by that, that, all they're going to do is just ask Jesus to continue doing what he's already been doing. Thank you. There's more. I know there's more of you. Come and shed some things. Some things need to be gotten rid of today.
And here's the connection. When you shed something, when you give that to God, when you allow God access to that, when you come to the end of trying to fight with the voice that speaks life, you come to this place where something breaks. And when something breaks, it can never be repaired again. And what I'm talking about is not your heart. God would never break your heart, but he will break your slave master. He will break the voice that dominates. He will break the thing that confines. He will break the thing that restricts. Where are you? There's more people. You need to be here. I think you need to be here right now. We're not going to prolong this. If you need to go in a few minutes, we're going to bless you on your way. But do not walk out of this house today without shedding what you know you need to shed and without allowing God to break what has been trying all these years to break you. It's been trying to break you. Those of you who are not coming, just reach your hand out towards these people. Can I ask if you wouldn't mind, Jane, wouldn't you mind two others? Where are Moji, our elders? Thank you. Come, George, would you mind, sir, come and help us? Let God be true. And all other voices that seek to confine, restrict, misguide, and misalign you, we pronounce over them that they are liars and therefore have no authority other than that which you give them. We take authority over the allegations, and there are some here. We take authority over the accusations, whether they come externally or internally. We take authority over the wounds that have been left by human endeavor. We take authority over the voices that have sought to shape and control your life. Everyone right now I command bow its knee, bow its knee in the presence of a holy God. For you are liars and robbers and thieves and you came not just to distract which you have for a long time, you came to destroy. That's your ultimate goal. You destroy what Jesus wants to give. You know, I'm seeing in my spirit that God has been trying to speak life to you and you've had this tension on the inside. You've you struggled to kind of embrace the truth. Do you know why? Because your soul has been so conditioned to the lie that when the truth comes, it just, it just floats off you like Teflon. It just comes off you. Father, I pray for a rootedness where your word is concerned. Your word will not return to you void, but will accomplish. Come on, church, are you praying for these people? Will accomplish what you have set it out to do. And here's, here's the thing. Just look at me for a minute. Look at me for a minute. The problem with living in that kind of reality is not only is your soul conditioned consistently to that default, but in some ways without realizing it or recognizing it, you've started to believe some of the lies. And the Bible says, where two or more agree, it shall come to pass. And you've become not just a victim anymore, but a partner with something that really you never intended to become. Okay, so we have to renounce that. Here's how we do that. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, forgive us for believing lies. If I have partnered with them, either consciously or subconsciously, I repent right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I place the cross of Christ between me 
and those lies, and I plead the blood of Jesus to sever any agreement I may have aligned myself to with the lies that came from the pit of hell. I renounce all such agreements. I tear up all such contracts, and I speak, Lord God, that you would come and bring cleansing. Lord, bring cleansing and healing and restoration and fullness and joy and peace. And Lord, let the blood of Christ do in the invisible realms what it can do and let our lives now come into partnership in the natural realms by saying, I believe your report. And his report says this, you are good. His report says you are free. Come on, I'm going to keep going until somebody wakes up. His report says you will succeed. I always think, how could you not be great when the greatest of all lives inside of you? It's ridiculous. See how ridiculous these lies are? And if he is great, Jesus even said, there's greater things you will do even than I have done. That's the heart of a father who longs to see his children rise in the fullness and the anointing. Come on, is there anybody awake in this room? Jesus said this, you will lay hands on the sick. Even though you may have partnered with sickness, you will lay hands on the sick and they shall be healed. You will call forth and demons will tremble. Even though you've been subjected to their lies and their carnage, you will call forth and demons will tremble at the sound of the name of Jesus Christ. What you speak life to, life will come. What you speak death to, death will come. You do not realize that part of the agenda of the enemy is to stop you from the fullness that Jesus has already provided for you. That's the game. And he's really clever and he does it very subtly. It started in your childhood. It's continued throughout the whole course of your life. But today in the house of God, you shed something. You have shed something. You have shed something today. Now, can I ask you all, because don't think you're immune from this. Yeah? You'll get to the car park and somebody will offend you. Don't think you're immune to this. Lift your hands for me, please, as we draw our time to a close. God, it isn't enough for us to have a moment. What we need is a movement of your spirit. And I pray that by your word today and the working of your spirit, you will sharpen our ability to understand truth and lies, Father. You would separate bone from marrow by your word. Father, you would bring healing and restoration and clarity and certainty to the hearts of your people. And Father, that's not arrogance. That's just heritage, Father. That's just sonship. That's being adopted in the family of God. And Father, we pray off any kind of confusion about what is or isn't true. For your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And only you, God, are the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And everything else is subordinate to that. And as we step out into our world, Father, we pray for the piercing of your word, sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting deep into our own lives, bringing clarity, but cutting deep into our culture, bringing certainty and a reformation of society, Lord. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you please thank Pastor Mike for being with us today. I'm thank you. Thank you so much. Now may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you throughout the course of this week. In the precious and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said amen. amen. Have a wonderful week, church. Have a wonderful week.